Welcome to the Prayer Mentor Podcast, where we are empowering Christian leaders to pray for the harvest. We pray your prayer life will be deepened by this podcast. We've been talking about preparing for the spiritual battle that we're going to face in the new day to come. I've been talking to you about praying through the Lord's Prayer, and I've suggested that when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, we're turning our gaze to the throne room of God. That as we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're coming to a place of abiding. It's like we're climbing a mountain to its summit. And then once we reach the summit, we're seated with Jesus as members of the body of Christ. It's a place of oneness with Christ. We have a place of authority for the Lord, the Father has placed all things under the feet of Jesus. And it's a place of intercession. We can turn our head and talk to the Father and intercede for those he's entrusted to us. In our intercession, we're praying for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for our families, for our ministry, for all those God has placed in our hands. As we finish this intercession for the kingdom, we look to God for our provision and we pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Now we're ready to leave our time of praying for the kingdom and to face our day. And we are now seeking first God's righteousness. We've talked about confession of sin and how our fellowship is restored with God when we find His righteousness through confession. We've talked about forgiving others and how we can be set free from the bondage of unforgiveness. The same way we forgive others, the Father will forgive us. Now we're looking to God's provision to overcome the temptations and the spiritual battle that we will face through the day. And we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What we see here is that there are those that James is writing to who want to blame God for the spiritual struggles they are facing and the temptations that they are enduring. Uh, when I was a young believer in the 70s, there was a man, a comedian, named Flip Wilson. And he had a variety show that went on for several years. And Flip, Flip Wilson made famous this saying, the devil made me do it. This statement, the devil made me do it, became a part of the vernacular of my friends. Every time we were faced with a temptation, we would say, the devil made me do it. And what we're always trying to do is blame someone for our own sin. When God finds Adam and Eve hiding in the garden, uh, and he asks them, what have you done? Immediately, Adam blames his wife. He says, the woman you gave me. And then he turns to the woman, to Eve, and he says, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent. We're always trying to blame someone else for the temptations that we experience. 
In this passage, as the brother of Jesus, James, writes, he's pointing out that people are trying to blame God for the temptations they're experiencing. But he confronts it and he says, listen, God cannot be tempted by evil and God tempts no one with evil. In contrast, James writes, but each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is saying, we can't blame anyone when we have fallen into sin. What he's saying is that we are lured away. Um, we are enticed by our own evil desires. When I was a young man, I was a part of a Boy Scout troop and we went on a backpack trip into the High Sierras. We went to a location called Hockett Lakes and it was a series of three small lakes. As a troop, we camped on the first lake, the largest lake, and the whole troop fished at that lake that day. The next morning, my neighbor, a close friend, Mike and I, we went to a second lake and we fished at it. We caught a few fish and had a great time. That afternoon, we went to the third lake. Now, Mike and I were fishing with a little lure called a super duper. Both had the same coloring, the same size. And when we cast out into this lake, immediately, for me, the first cast, I got a fish. And I brought it in and was just elated. Second cast, I'm bringing it in and another fish takes it. I catch a second fish. I caught seven fish with seven casts. And on the eighth cast, I threw out the line, caught a fish, I was bringing it in, and the fish broke water and spit it out. Uh, I was a little dismayed because my luck was going so good. A second fish grabbed in that eighth cast and took a hold of the lure, broke water and spit it out. And then a third fish grabbed it and right before I was gonna pull it out of the water, it spit it out. Well, three more casts, I had 10 fish. Mike had 10 fish. It was amazing. It was as though the fish got in line to take our lure. They were enticed um, and they were beside themselves and they took a hold of that lure and they got ensnared. And they were dinner that night for about 20 Boy Scouts and their scout leaders. Their inability to resist the lure, the temptation, the enticement of the super duper lure brought about their death. That's what James is saying here, that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, brings birth, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's an old saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. And when we sow habits out of our evil desires 
and it is sin. Um, what we have is a character that leads to death. It leads to destruction in our lives and destruction in the relationships that we have with people. So what are the temptations you are facing today? I want to give you two questions, and I get these questions from the statement the Apostle Paul makes in Romans 7. He says, what I do, I do not want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do. So in identifying the temptations that we face, you may want to ask the question, what didn't I do yesterday that I wanted to do? And then a second question, what did I do yesterday that I didn't want to do? Because what you did that you didn't want to do and what you didn't do that you wanted to do is your same battle today. Day in, day out, you face the same battle, the same spiritual struggle. So you may want to ponder on these two questions to identify the temptations that you are going to face today. The second point I want to make about temptation is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What we see in this passage is that the temptations you're experiencing as you answer those two questions, what are the things I want to do, but I'm not able to do them? What are the things I don't want to do, but I don't have the power not to do them? The temptations that you are experiencing are common to man. There is somebody in your circle of relationships who has that very same struggle. You are not alone in it. And what we see, God does not tempt anyone of evil. And in this passage, we see that God is faithful. And He won't let us be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation, He provides a way of escape so that we can endure it. Now, as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to say to you that temptation is very real. Um, and when we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're praying in accordance with God's will. He doesn't tempt anyone. But what God does do, He delivers us from evil. He is faithful, and He won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear, but with the temptation provides a way of escape. I want to suggest to you, that when we're struggling with evil, the source of that evil comes from three different enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
many years ago, I sponsored a, sem- a one-day seminar on spiritual warfare. I invited one of my mentors, Mark Bubeck, to come and speak to the members of my church. And as we gathered together, I was surprised by the size of the crowd. We only had about 35 people. And the kind of the crowd, they were all intercessors. You see, Mark Bubeck has written the book, The Adversary, and then another book, Overcoming the Adversary. And the people who came to hear him that day were people who prayed, who were involved in spiritual warfare. And really what they were looking for from Mark was the latest judo chop on how to overcome the devil. To our disappointment, Mark talked about the world, the flesh, and then the devil. He actually began with the flesh and spent three hours that day, that morning, talking to us about the flesh. And then he spent two hours talking about the world. And he spent the last hour of that day talking about the devil. Mark said that if we can overcome the flesh and overcome the world, we don't have to worry about the devil. We will never give him any ground in our lives. So in our series on preparing for the spiritual battle that we are going to face, um, praying and seeking his righteousness, I want to introduce to you the three enemies that we have as we live out our Christian life. And I want to do that because God's resources to overcome each enemy is different. The biblical truth that God gives us in his word to overcome the world is different than the biblical truth that the Bible gives us to overcome the devil. And the biblical truth that God's word gives us to overcome the flesh is different than the biblical truth that God's word gives us to overcome the devil. The promise of God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 is that God is faithful and he'll not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. What is that way of escape? Well, his resources to overcome the world and different resources to overcome the flesh and different resources from his word to overcome the devil. Our source for overcoming all three enemies comes from God's word, but it's different in each case. So in the time that's remaining in this session, I want to talk to you about overcoming the world. In 1 John, 2 verses 15 through 17 John identifies the world for us do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. 
What we see here is that the Apostle John is making reference to the world. In the Greek word is the cosmos. It describes the order of system that runs this inhabited earth. It is a spiritual system of things that are opposed to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see is that there's a threefold nature to the world. There is the lust of the eyes. There is the lust of the flesh. There is the boastful pride of life. When I was a student at Biola University, I had a professor that gave a word to describe each one of these natures of the world. He said that the desire of the flesh is pleasure. He said the desire of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, is possessions. And he said that the boastful pride of life is position. I thought this was great. It has been so helpful for me to identify where is my struggle when I think in terms of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's interesting to note as well that when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, the devil uses all three of these aspects of the world to tempt Jesus. Jesus has been baptized by, the, by John the Baptist. He hears the Father's voice and the Father says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is then led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of the fast, the tempter, the devil, comes to him and he tempts him in three different ways. And in the first temptation, he says, if you're the Son of God, he's challenging the person of Christ that was declared at the baptism, turn these stones into bread. And what's amazing to watch is how Jesus resists the temptation with the Word of God. He says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus' perspective was, as he was fasting, his nourishment came from God's Word, not from food. He was dependent upon God, and God was nourishing him as they were communing together, and he was listening to the Father. And so, the world tempts us to gain its pleasures. It could be defined as a pursuit of pleasure in an excess or a compulsive way where we um, give our affections to the pleasure of the world before God. It could include alcohol, drugs, sexual pleasure outside of marriage, laziness, eating too much food, vacations, weekends away. All of these things, when given to excess, can be an expression of giving our affection to pleasure rather than God. The devil attempts him a second time, and this time the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he now quotes scripture, and he says from Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you, and will, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You see, 
The devil knew that in any given day in the portico of Solomon there would be a thousand to two thousand Hebrews who were worshiping God. And when they saw Jesus and the angels holding him as he comes down from the top of the temple, they would right there and then make him the king of Israel. But it wasn't yet his time. And so Jesus responds again with the word of God. He resists the temptation with the word. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what we see in regards to this second aspect of the world, that is um, position, it could be defined as a pursuit of status or recognition in an unhealthy way, bringing harm or to self or others and placing the goal of getting ahead before God. This could include being the captain of the team, chairman of the committee, president of the company, owning your own business, pastoring a church, leading a ministry, winning the game, or achieving the goal, or even our children's victories on the playing field and their successes in the classroom. In all these things, we are placing our affection on getting ahead before God. So in the third temptation, the devil takes Jesus up into a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, bow down before me and worship me and I will give you these kingdoms. Now, what's interesting here is that the father in Psalm 2 says, um, ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession. The father already promises these things to the son. But see, the devil is trying to tempt him, trying to entice him to take a hold of these things before his time. And Jesus responds and he says, you shall, not wor you shall worship the Lord your God and him shall you serve. And so what we see here is that uh, the devil is offering Jesus these kingdoms as a possession. And it could be defined as acquiring possessions in an excessive, compulsive way where our affection is given to things before God. It could include a house or houses, clothes, jewelry, cars, boats, um, an iPhone, an iPod, iPod, um, a, a computer, furniture, equipment, tools, children, ministry. In all of these things, we are giving our affection to possessions before our affection is given to God. Jesus chose to love the Father and to obey the Father. He did not love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eyes, possessions, and the boastful pride of life, position. Jesus made a choice to love God and Him alone. And so the question is, where is your affection? We often talk, talk about, I love this thing or I love that thing. You know, I love the Cowboys. I have a Cowboys ball cap. I have a Cowboys jersey. Whenever possible, I watch the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. I love the Cowboys. You know, I love Chili Verde burritos. I grew up in Southern California near East LA, a Mexican community. 
And when I would go out to eat at a Mexican restaurant, I always had a chili verde burrito. I've got to say to you, um, even at 68 years old, when I return to Southern California and people say to me, where do you want to go eat? Let's go get Mexican food. And what do I order? A chili verde burrito. I love them. Well, you may say, well, Clyde, that's no big deal. There's always things that we love. But maybe behind those words, there's more truth than what meets the eye. Maybe we've given our affection to pleasure or to possessions or to position. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through verse 10, the brother of the Lord is confronting the believers about their affection for the world. And he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In this passage, James gives us some indicators whereby we can evaluate whether or not we are friends with the world and enemies with God. We've given our affection to one of these three aspects of the world. And in so doing, we are adulterers. We're not loving God anymore. And what we see in Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 is that when we love the world, we are idolaters. We're bowing down to the idol of that aspect of the world. There are four areas that I use to evaluate my own life. I believe they're indicators to help us discern what are we giving our affection to and as a result are adulterous in our relationship with God and are idolaters. The first uh, aspect is found in James chapter 4 verse 1. It's the whole notion of fighting and quarreling. And I ask myself the question, um, what am I fighting about? And I give honest consideration to my motivation for the fight. What categories of the world, um, the less the flesh, pleasure, the less the eyes, possession, the boastful pride of life, position, is drawing me into these fights and these quarrels. The second indicator is that of prayer. Or should I say unanswered prayer? What are my motives for making requests to the Father? What categories of the world? Pleasure. Possessions. Position. What is the lure? What's the enticement that uh, when I pray, God won't answer it? because I want to spend them on my lust. James chapter 4 verse 3. The third area is that of my possessions themselves. We see in Matthew 6, 21 and 24, it says that no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other or despise the one and love be devoted to the other. He says you can't serve God and mammon. 
And so I asked the question, where does my money flow? What are the things I'm purchasing? What percentage of my money do I give away? Uh, is money my master or is God my master? And I evaluate, what's the lure here? Is it pleasure? Is it possessions? Is it the boastful pride of life? What is enticing me um, in the way I'm spending my money? The fourth indicator deals with the pleasures that I enjoy. And I ask myself the question, what do I enjoy that I can't give up for two weeks? What are the compulsions in my life? What are the habitual behaviors that I pursue to have gratification in my life? Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Is it pleasure? Is it possessions? Is it position? And as I answer those questions, I draw the conclusion of what am I loving? What am I giving my affection to? Where, how is it that I'm an adulterer in my relationship with God? And what are the idols that I have placed before Him and bow down to? The devil's goal in all of this is to draw us away from loving God and obeying Him. Jesus said to his disciples uh, at the very end of the Passover meal, he says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I want to say to you, we do not have to be in bondage to the world that we have a provision from God so that we can overcome the world. And that provision, first and foremost, is found in the life of Jesus Christ. Your Savior, my Savior, never yielded to the devil in the temptation. And at the end of his ministry, um, he was able to say, the prince of this world has no hold on me, but I've always loved the Father and obeyed him. The foundation for our victory over the world is the very life of Jesus, where he never yielded to the devil, and he always loved the Father and obeyed the Father. The second aspect of our victory over the world is found in our faith in Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. That moment you trusted in Jesus and you became a follower of Christ, you are now a candidate to overcome the world through your faith in Jesus. And the scripture says, Greater is he who is in you, Jesus than he who is in the world. And then we overcome the world, number three, by the renewing of our mind. That is, it's reading God's Word. It's listening to God's Word. 
It's reading God's Word. It's studying God's Word. It's memorizing God's Word. It's meditating on God's Word. So that when we are tempted by the things of the world, we are able to resist through the Word of God as a sword of the Spirit and overcome the world. Finally, we have to make a choice that we are going to turn from the affections of the world to giving our affection to God. We're choosing to love and obey God day in and day out. And so, temptations are very real. But the truth is, we can't blame it on God. We can't blame it on the devil, the tempter. We have to assume responsibility for our own lives. It is our evil desires, our lusts that draw us away from God. And we see that there's three aspects to the world. The lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eyes, possession, and the boastful pride of life, position. But we don't have to succumb to the world. Our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, overcame the world. He always loved the Father and did exactly what He commanded. In our faith in Christ, we've overcome the world. And greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And it is as we read God's Word and we study God's Word, our minds are being renewed and we are given weapons to resist the temptation of the evil one. And then we give our affections to Jesus. We have no idols before Him. We worship Him alone. As you do this, you will overcome the world. And as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God has given us these four provisions of the life of Jesus, our faith in Christ, the renewing of our mind and the Word of God, and our choice to give our love and affection to Jesus to overcome the world. May the Lord bless you as you seek His righteousness. Mm -hmm.